0: All right. Did we have enough copies of the outline there? Okay, great. All right. Take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 9 and take just a moment of review here. Um, We have started at defining the the dispensations. Again, uh, as we're approaching this subject, we want to keep. this uh, confined uh, to a approach, a method of understanding the Bible, and with any man made method, there there are going to be some questions. But um, in in my years of research and spending time with the Bible, this approach answers more questions than. Uh, than any other way of putting the Bible together, of understanding the Bible, and it gives us a, a process by which we can keep a consistent, literal understanding of the Word of God. So, when we start in Genesis chapter 1, and it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's exactly what it means. And God Created man out of the dust of the earth. He created Eve from a rib of Adam. We believe these are factual, historical accounts. And uh, someone says, well, if you if you know anything about science, it has disproved the Bible. Well, I would challenge you, study your science. Uh, because there is so much in science that is falsely so-called. Uh in order, well, we can't take a time to go down that trail, but in order for it to be true science, you have to be able to repeat it. And no one can repeat creation. And so we look here, we look at the order in which our world is, and we could give so many, many examples. The, The one that is most inconceivable of all is the human body. Do you know that the DNA of a moth is like 40 or 60% congruent with that of a human being? But let me tell you, the differences are huge. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, even though there is some overlap there, all living things have much in common. But I, I will tell you this. All you have to do is study history to know that there's a difference between animals and all other life forms in human beings. Uh, I, I like what one preacher said. He said, there's never been a monkey dumb enough to smoke cigarettes that some human didn't teach him first. But adults invented the whole, I mean, human beings invented that whole process on their own. And that's not all they smoked. Uh I'll tell you, uh, sometimes we just need to stop and think here. But God reveals Himself as the Creator. God reveals Himself as wanting to be involved in mankind. He gives His words, and, and He explains to man that if you transgress My words, if you disobey My commandments, things are going to happen that are not going to be positive. He said, the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely... Die at the end of the time in the garden of Eden as God removed Adam and Eve from the garden they had to witness the most horrific event of their entire lives as God took animals and killed them offered their burned their bodies on a on an on a mound of earth or a pile of rocks we do not know but both of those were acceptable and he took the skins of those animals and made a covering for Adam and Eve. And what God was teaching us is that if we're going to deal with sin, it's got to be a sacrifice of the innocent. That's why God refused to accept Cain's sacrifice. Because Cain's sacrifice was the work of The earth and God refused it. And what did Cain do? He said, I'll solve this problem. I'll murder Abel. And then there won't be any good example. Someone said that Cain was the greatest serial killer in the history of mankind as he removed one quarter of the world's population. As there were only four people on the earth at this point. Uh, Just a little humor there. Um, but mankind corrupted himself until God, unlike the evolutionists and those that they want to talk about asteroids hitting the earth and destroying all of the dinosaurs, no, God sent a flood. Every geographical feature of our earth, the ice age, all of these things that, People try to explain in tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. Are explained very readily if we understand what the Bible says about Noah's flood. After the flood, God said, listen. You are going to sacrifice, but now God lists the animals as clean animals. When Noah took the animals on the ark, he took them on two by two except for the clean animals. He took them on by sevens, and he was able to take those extra animals there, and he sacrificed those to God, and God smelled a sweet savor, it says, and he gave us a sign. That covenant is still in effect today. How many of you have ever seen a rainbow in the clouds after the rain? God said, I'm putting that rainbow in the clouds, and... God said, I'm going to look on it. Have you ever been up in an airplane and looked down on a rainbow? Uh, It's amazing. You can see them from both ends. And uh, uh, God said, I'm going to see that. And there will never be a worldwide flood again. So we come to Genesis chapter 9. And and God is giving new revelation. Uh, You see the pattern here. God reveals Himself to man. He gives instruction to mankind. Man rebels against God's revelation. He disobeys. Then God brings judgment. And with that judgment, God gives new revelation. And what we have is, by the time we get to the end here, we are going to have proof that mankind can never be God. Mankind will never be as good as God is. Mankind will never choose right. Adam and Eve didn't choose right in the garden. Cain certainly didn't choose right after the garden and the world corrupted itself. Now we're after the flood and God has... Given direction in verse 6 of chapter 9. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So God had told man, he had told Noah and his family that if we have this thing called murder happen again, that society or mankind was responsible to execute or to take the life of the murderer. And uh, as we see here, he told man to populate the face of the earth. And he said, every time it rains, you're going to see my promise that God is never going to destroy the entire race, uh, the entire human, uh, kind again. And so now we, uh, continue here in verse 18 and one of the strangest stories really in the Bible. And why is it in here? Because it really happened. And, and it's not a pleasant story, but in verse 18 it says the sons of Noah that went forth, uh, of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. And uh, verse 20. And Noah began to be a husbandman and planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered in his tent. And we have Ham dishonoring his father here. It's interesting. Canaan was the one that was cursed. Now. I've heard of people talking about the curse of Ham, but if you'll read the passage here, Ham was not the one uh, look at verse twenty five. He and he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be a servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years, and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. So, we have this uh, problem here. We have Noah becoming drunk. There's uh, many different reasons why this was offered. Uh, one is that we have a change in the climate and the, uh, the entire functioning of the Earth's atmosphere and all of these things. As the windows of heaven were open, things were completely different. And so, we have no record of Noah becoming a, an habitual drunk. We have it happening one time. And Noah did not curse Ham. It's interesting that people use the Bible to further their own ideas. I've heard people say, well, God cursed all the descendants of Ham. No, he didn't. He cursed Canaan. Does anybody know where Canaan lived? In the land of Canaan. In what we call today the land of Israel. It was Ham's other sons that went to Africa, and there was no curse on any of Ham's other sons. Why was this? The Bible doesn't tell us. But the judgment upon Canaan happened about 900 years later or so, as the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan and took The land of Canaan. They were supposed to fulfill the judgment that Noah put upon him. But if we'll stop and really understand, every living person on the earth all comes from Noah. So technically, we're related. This idea of certain people being greater or lesser than other people groups is thoroughly dispelled by just reading your Bible. It was Paul that told the Greeks on top of Mars Hill in the city of Athens that God created all man out of one blood. That that we are all human beings. Somebody said there's only one kind of race. It's called the human race. And uh, you cannot find an excuse for this kind of thing in the Bible. The next rebellion that we have is we come over here to chapter 10 and we get down to verse 8 and it says, And Cush, uh, uh, this was one of the sons of Ham, the grandson of, uh, I mean, one of Ham's sons was Cush, and his son was a guy named Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Now, isn't it interesting that the oldest historical records we have concerning mankind come from the plain of Shinar. How many of you have ever heard of the Akkadians? That is the Akkad that is mentioned here. Kalna. And and this was Nimrod's kingdom. Now, let me ask you a question. Had God said anywhere that one man was supposed to rule over every other man? Did you find that in your Bible? I, I didn't find that in my Bible. See, what we have is we have Nimrod rebelling against God's direction. It says that if man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That meant that men had to cooperate with each other. They had to live in a society. But Nimrod perverted that and he says... Why do you need God when you have me? That's the wording of our Bible. He was the mighty hunter before the Lord. In place of, or in front of. He put himself as a special one. And uh, we've offered uh, that some of the Greek mythology may actually have its roots in history before the flood, but certainly uh, much of it has its roots in the history of Nimrod because he is the mighty hunter and he was one of the kings, the earliest kings of the earth. Now, God didn't say establish a kingdom and certain people have special abilities to rule over everybody else. Nimrod took that upon himself. It was part of his rebellion against God. And we get down here to chapter 11, and we start reading in verse 1, and it says, The whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, where was Nimrod's kingdom? All these different cities in the plain of Shinar. And... They said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Now, when we use slime in our modern day English, most people think of Nickelodeon, I think, uh, that has the green goo that falls on your head or something like that. I'm, I don't keep up with that kind of stuff. I've seen it in the stores and I'm sitting here, who would want to play with that? But... The, the slime that they're talking about here, even to this day, uh, there is natural asphalt pits in, in the land of Shinar, modern day Iraq, uh, where all that oil comes from, and the slime that they were talking about was, uh, a form of the crude oil that would, uh, leak up into the ground, and, and, uh, uh, it was waterproof, it was strong, if you, If you've ever seen crude oil, uh, uh, it is, in its rare state, is more um, like a roof tar than it is like anything else. Uh, What we use in our cars is a number two diesel. And uh, I remember the building across the street, when they got their new boilers in, they used to have number four And you had to have a special heater in the oil storage tanks to liquefy the, the, the substance so that it would actually burn in the, uh, in the boiler. And so this slime that they're talking about here was a, was a natural asphalt. It would have built, uh, an incredibly strong and stable building. And verse four, and they said, go to, let us build us a city. And a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, what had God told him to do? Be fruitful, multiply, spread out and people the earth. What did man say? Ah, we will build a city. We're going to build a tower and we're going to build it all the way up to heaven and we don't need God anymore. We'll have our own God. We'll be ourselves. Uh, a God for ourselves. And we have God coming down in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children and men builded. Now look at the Lord's summation here as recorded in our Bible. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they all, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Now isn't that amazing? This is what God is saying about what man can do. He said nothing will be restrained from them. Their imaginations will work together and they will make Uh, Everything that they hope to do and God says, let us go down and confound their languages that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from hence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so, it is absolutely amazing. Study the history of human language. If we were to listen to the National Geographic crowd, we have men going wrong, dragging a woman by the head of her hair, going, ugh, oh, ugh, oh, oh, and communicating as animals do and all of a sudden it was ah make me a hamburger for dinner I mean where did that come from Uh, the Bible tells us that God created man intelligent and understanding in fact Adam had so much wisdom he was able to name the animals and he was able to see the differences in them and call their names man spoke Man understood, and God came down and confused their languages. We know this city by another name. It's all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's Babylon, the town of the Tower of Babel. The seed of all false religion goes back to Babylon. And man... Uh, rebelled against God. He tried to build a society without God. God confounded his language. Man scattered across the face of the earth. He stops building the tower. And all of a sudden we have different languages. We have different alphabets that were developed from those languages and God stops the communication there. Now, really and truly, In this short period compared to uh, leading up to the flood was about 1,650 years. From the flood to the Tower of Babel is only about 450 years. But we have additional revelation. Things were different after the flood than they were before the flood. We have man rebelling against the information and the direction that God gave him. And we have God judging man and changing everything. Everything was different after the Tower of Babel. And what we have going on here is later on in this chapter, as we finish the story of God confounding the languages, it says, these are the generations of Shem. And we get down here to the end of this chapter and uh, uh well actually let's just read the first verse of chapter 12 it says now the Lord had said unto Abram get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee now if we'll just Look at what God is doing here. God started out with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was the entire population of mankind. He then addresses their children after them, after the flood, and mankind corrupts himself to the point that God sends a flood and starts all over again with Noah and his family. Now we have three different descendants of Noah from which... All of the people of the earth are, are descended from, and they rebel against God. And God confounds their languages, and so now they're dispersed into families or people groups. If you really want to know how, someone, how God divides people, He doesn't divide people by color, He divides them by language. He divides them by their ability to communicate. Do you realize that um, uh, down through the ages, ever since the Tower of Babel, the greatest uh, block to man communicating with other people is understanding the languages. We have a thing called the United Nations. I think they simultaneously translate uh, up to 150 or more languages so that every person there can hear Whoever is speaking in their own language. That's a pretty new thing. We follow through the Bible and and we have all of these things coming. But we have a complete pattern. And now God is narrowing down his scope to one family. The descendants of Abraham. And so now we begin a new dispensation. This ends with the calling of Abraham or the confusion of the languages at the Tower of Babel up until the giving of the law. God is dealing primarily. Our Bible scope changes. Yes, we do find a few unusual people in the rest of the book of Genesis. We have Jethro, the priest of Midian who was a priest of the Most High God. We have this fellow called Melchizedek, uh, of whom the Bible tells us very little, but he was a priest of the Most High God. But other than that, everything was connected to Abraham. And not only Abraham, but Abraham's descendant, Isaac. And not only Isaac, but Isaac's descendant Jacob, or Israel, is where the, the promised people came. And of the sons of Jacob, it was Judah that would be chosen. And we can read all these prophecies in the Bible. As they were going into the land of Egypt and had just moved into the land of Egypt, it was Jacob that called his sons before he died. And he said, Judah is the one that's going to inherit the blessing. Now, what blessing was he talking about? The blessing that God had given Abraham. That blessing included several things. One was that Abraham would possess the land the land that we call Israel today. And I'm happy to tell you that the physical descendants of Abraham are living in the land of Israel today. And that is one of the greatest proofs that the things that this Bible talks about is true. It was years ago, um, I think it was one of the communist generals in Soviet Europe, Eastern Europe, said, give me one proof the Bible is true. And the man he was speaking to looked at him and said, Israel. They're still a people. And they're back in the land. I mean, the equivalent would be the algonquin Indian tribe repossessing Manhattan. People snicker, I can't even pronounce it right. I don't know how many of those people are still even left. I think if there's any descendants at all, they're on the Six uh, six Nation Indian Reservation in uh, Ontario, Providence in Canada. Uh, Would be the only place that I know that any uh, sizable number of those Indians are still, or their descendants are still left. And yet, Israel is back in the land. There was a promise that all the nations of the world would be blessed in the seed of Abraham. Now there's a connection that we make here. We go back to Genesis chapter 3 and what did God tell Adam and Eve? He said it would be the seed of the woman that would bruise the serpent's head. Now what did Eve say when Cain was born? I've gotten a man of the Lord. I got the seed that will destroy sin didn't work out that way did it in fact from the time here these two dispensations 3 and 4 take up about 900 years of history we have about another 1650 years or so from the end of the beginning of the law until Jesus is born roughly 4000 years of history From the promise that was given to Eve until the fulfillment of that promise. God takes his time. How did man rebel against God in this time period? Well, Joseph goes into Egypt. He is uh, sold as a slave. He ends up in Egypt and ends up being second in command to Pharaoh and prepares and saves Egypt from economic destruction during the seven-year famine that he prophesied to Pharaoh. We open the book of Exodus, and we have a new Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, and he enslaves the people of God. You see, we have God working through a family... He tries to destroy Israel through slavery and bitter bondage. And when that doesn't work, he commands that every male child that is born is cast into the Nile River and killed. Uh, An interesting note here is Moses has his part in the rebellion against God, doesn't he? As he is raised in Pharaoh's house and he tries to deliver Israel, and what does he get? He earns the title of murderer because he kills a man, an Egyptian, trying to deliver Israel. Doesn't work that way. And Israel is judged as they suffer under the harsh bondage of the Egyptians. Now, where does God's judgment come in? Well, we certainly have a whole realm. We could spend the whole evening just talking about the ten plagues of Egypt. Uh, The first three, the children of Israel, endured just along with the Egyptians. God was trying to get Israel to take notice that he was their God. God also reveals his name. He says, I am that I am. You say, how does that help me know about God? Well, if you'll stop and just look at the words, you cannot say that about you. I am because I had some parents. How about, does that apply to you? Uh, God didn't have any parents. He is because He is. God is the eternal existent God. No beginning, no end. Nobody created God. He didn't have a set of parents. He did not have a date of origin. Everything else and anything else we know about has a beginning, but God does not. The last seven plagues are upon Egypt alone. And if you'll study those plagues, the Egyptians worshipped frogs and God sent frogs into the land of Egypt. They worshipped the Nile River. God turned the Nile River to blood. Uh, uh they, um, uh, they worshipped the sun. Their chief god was Ra, the sun god. And God put out the sun for three days and three nights. The Bible says no man in the nation of Egypt moved during those three days. They worshipped themselves. And so the last plague, the greatest of all, was the death of every firstborn not even, not only of the people, but even of the animals. God destroyed the entire lineage of Egypt. Now, here's an interesting fact, just something to... This is a new discovery in the last 20 or so years, or maybe 50 years, is we, we could never put a proper chronology and time frame on Egyptian history. And we finally found out why is because when a new dynasty came in, he sent his servants throughout all the land of Egypt to chisel out the names of everybody who was before him and replace them with their own names. And they went through any of the extant documents that they had and they erased them and rewrote the history of Egypt as if their dynasty was the only dynasty that ever existed. Now, we know that there were many Egyptian dynasties over the history And the Egyptians did the best they could to erase that. Sometimes I wonder if that tenth plague didn't have a little bit to do with that kind of mentality as there was no one left to carry on the next generation. God broke the line. God judged Egypt every way a people could be judged. But then... God wasn't finished yet, was he? The children of Israel were trapped as God led them up to the Red Sea. And, of course, the historians tell us that it was the Reed Sea. And that when the wind blows, that often a pathway across the sea would be made plain. And that the water of the Reed Sea was at the most ever two feet deep. Well, how did that destroy the armies of Egypt if the water was only two feet deep? Um, There was a story of a man who was sitting in a class as a professor was trying to explain this to him. He said, wow, it was a greater miracle than I ever thought. How God destroyed the armies of Egypt in six inches of water. Wow. Wow. and the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us there was a wall of water on each side. And God destroyed Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And uh, I'll just leave it here. Don't The only thing in the Ten Commandments movie that was made in the 50s that is right, is they took movie film of a waterfall and they played it backwards to get the walls of water. That was the only bit of fact in the entire movie that they got right. Everything else uh they changed and messed up. So don't don't get your history from Hollywood. Uh and someone says, "Well, I get my history from the History Channel." Oh my. If you think Hollywood's bad, just watch the History Channel. Uh there's there's no fact left untouched. Uh, if you want, if you want a true history, read your Bible. It, it will tell you what really happened. But now God is bringing the children of Israel through the Red Sea into the Arabian Desert to a mountain called Sinai, and He's going to give them six hundred and thirteen laws. There are going to be three major feasts every year where all the children of Israel must appear at the place that God chooses, at the door of the tabernacle, and later in the place where God would choose in the land of Canaan. Can I ask you a question? How many of you think you have the Ten Commandments memorized? You could you could give me all ten commandments. Just raise your hand if you if you I believe I could give you all Ten Commandments. I think most of us could. How about the 603 others? Anybody up for that one? I'm not. I'll just... The Pharisees in Jesus' day had to have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized in order to become a Pharisee. They knew all 613 laws. And yet... Their knowledge was probably the reason of their greatest blindness to the truth of who Jesus was. Here's the point I'm trying to illustrate. We have God making a major change at the end of this fourth dispensation, the dispensation of promise. It is called the dispensation of promise in the book of Galatians, in the book of Hebrews, that God gave a promise to Abraham. And that the law that was to follow would not negate the promises that were made to Abraham. Or the salvation that God promised by faith. Remember, even though these things changed, the approach to God changed, the ways that we worship God. Now it's going to be a very serious change. God has narrowed it down to, if you are going to worship God... First of all, you've got to become part of Israel. And secondly, you must bring your sacrifices and you must approach God through the Levite priesthood of the children of Israel. Out of the 12 tribes, 13 in all that are counted there because Joseph had two sons, only one tribe and only one family in that one tribe could offer your sacrifices. You had to be a direct descendant of Aaron. The rest of the family were to help with the moving of the tabernacle. They were to supply the wood and all of the supplies that were there. And they were to help uh, in, in every other way. But only the direct sons of Aaron, the son of Levi, could offer sacrifices. Now, what do we have God doing? He is bringing down our scope before the Tower of Babel. God dealt with all mankind as one society. That's why Nimrod was rebellious. He put himself in charge of mankind. Who was supposed to be in charge? God was. But man always rebels against God. So God confounds language and separates man into people group, into families which would later become nations in the peoples of history. And he chooses one, Abraham. Then he goes down through the descendants of Abraham, and he chooses only one family to offer sacrifices. And he gives 613 laws and all the regulations that are in our Bible. You know what Moses did at the Mount Uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, that was different than any other thing that had happened in history. We have the first written words of God. You see, now the amount of revelation that God had given was so substantial. Man's memory was not sufficient to remember everything. And God demanded exact obedience to His law. Read the story, and we'll talk about this next week, of what happened to Nadab and Abihu when they disobeyed God's laws. They were killed immediately. Well, if God was going to require such exacting obedience, how could he do it if there wasn't a written standard to go to? You see, God is revealing himself to us in each area of time... Each dispensation, if you prefer the word, it's an administration of God's grace as God proves to mankind, no matter what God does, man is going to fall short. But if you're going to have faith, what did Abel do? He offered the right sacrifice. What did Noah do? He built an ark. What did the descendants down to Abraham do? They worshipped God as he directed. What did Abraham do? He offered the sacrifices that God had told Noah that he was to offer. He was continuing this same faith. But Abraham had to leave his family and his kindred and his people group and start a new people group. That would be wholly dedicated to God. Then they were enslaved by another people group who tried to wipe them out and destroy God's plan. God's judgment again came down. And now God is going to regulate every part of life. He is going to give them 613 laws. He is going to give them feasts. He's going to tell them how to worship God, how to pray to God. Every part of our relationship with God is illustrated in the laws, In the tabernacle, Jesus Christ is put before us in living illustration, in every sacrifice, in every ceremony, as God is trying to teach us how terrible sin is. And he is trying to show us that we do not choose what is right. We choose what is wrong. And yet, God's mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. By the way, that's the theme of the meeting next week in San Diego. And uh, God's mercy is always there If we will come to God and ask for it. God is in the sin forgiving business. Aren't you glad about that? But one thing we know.